I am Pastor Corrine Boroff, Senior Pastor at Anderson First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening to our worship service today. If you want to learn more about this church, visit our website at andersonfirst.org. Have a blessed day and enjoy the message. Our lesson this morning is from Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Well, this is Thanksgiving Sunday. And besides looking forward to my favorite meal of the entire year, coming up in just four days, you know, a bite of cranberry salad sitting on top of a slice of turkey, ah, it makes my mouth just water thinking about it. Well, besides that, several things have happened over the past few weeks for which I am very thankful. First of all, my father and I have recently moved into a new condo together. We are adjusting to what it means to live in the same house together after 49 years. The move has been a bit stressful for both of us, to say the least, but I have discovered once again how much my family means to me and how much I love them. My niece and nephew, and especially my brother John and my sister-in-law Gwen, have been there through it all, helping us downsize, move in, and get settled. We could not have done it without them. Family that sticks with you when you're up and when you're down, there's hardly a greater gift than that. I love my family, and I am so grateful that they are an active part of my life. John, Gwen, Dad, I love you. The second thing that I am thankful for this week is the opportunity that I had to go back and remember my pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago in Spain that I took a year and a half ago. I was asked to share my experience at an Anderson University School of Theology class in spiritual formation a week ago on Monday, and preparing for that time proved to be a really important spiritual journey for me to take. I was reminded of what I had learned on that walk and why it was important to me then and why I truly needed to recover in my life what had been lost in those months since, that, since my return. I'm grateful for the, that experience and for God's word to me. And thirdly, I'm grateful for my life among you in this place, And at this time, your faithfulness encourages me and gives me hope. Your generosity knows no bounds, as evidenced by this wonderful pile of blankets on the communion table this morning and the boxes and bags full of food and household supplies that have been coming in all month and the empty angel tree in the narthex. The way in which you seek to be authentic followers of Jesus in word and deed challenges me to lift my drooping eyes and pick up my dragging feet and join you with great joy along the way. On this Thanksgiving Sunday, these are the things that I am especially grateful for. What is it that you are grateful for this morning? Do you have something in mind? Why don't you lean over and share that um, with someone sitting next to you? What are you grateful for on this Thanksgiving Sunday?
Have a blessed Thanksgiving, everyone. At our joy lunch a week ago on Friday, Mary Brown shared with us one way of looking at life, of reflecting on life and one's observations and experiences. She gave us the opportunity to see the truth of something in an unexpected way, a way that might just give us pause to wonder and to know that truth a little differently than we had known it before. Mary helped us hold some poetry in our hands, which, in the touching of it, helped us see bigger somehow. When asked what a poem was, a fourth grader once told Mary that a poem is an egg with a horse inside. Our text today is an egg with a horse inside. And that is just the reason that we don't hear too many sermons from the Psalms or any of the poetic books of the Bible for that matter. We more often relegate them to our call to worship readings or to our hymns and anthems, which is probably the best way to experience the poetry anyway if we pay attention to what it is we're saying or singing. It is much easier to preach from the narratives of Scripture or from the teachings. But today I'm going to consider a poem, a poem in two parts with three verses each. It is a poem with a context, as all poems have some context in their creation. The poem reflects upon a particular experience, or more likely two experiences of the Hebrew people. The poem reflects on those experiences, um, the poet reflects on those experiences with all his senses and paints for the hearer a picture of who this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is, and who this God is in relation to the people that God has claimed as God's very own. To say that this psalm is set in a particular context does not mean in the least that it has nothing for us today. Its message is multiple and ongoing, And perhaps it will have something for you today in this season of thanksgiving. The people of Jerusalem have been in a very long and protracted siege by the Babylonian forces. Against God's counsel through the prophet Jeremiah, the people had held on. They did not give up, believing that God would not desert God's own people and God's own temple house. They should have listened to Jeremiah. It might have saved the temple from destruction. But they didn't. And when King Nebuchadnezzar's forces finally broke down the walls of the city, they utterly destroyed the temple and carried off the people into exile in Babylon. For 70 years... The people lived in that foreign land, lamenting their exile, the loss of their land, and the absence of their God. The book of Lamentations is a poetic reflection on that pain and loss. 
And Psalm 137 draws from Lamentations. By the waters of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. And when the Babylonians encouraged them to sing the songs of which they were known far and wide, they said, how can we sing the song of Zion in a foreign land? Over time, the people settled into life in Babylon. They became merchants and farmers. Some even worked in the king's court. But they never forgot their land, the city of Jerusalem, the temple of God. Their longing and anguish was deep, and the stories they told to the next generations born in Babylon tied them to the land of their ancestors and to the God who had given the land to them. They were foreigners in a foreign land until the new king, Cyrus of Persia, who had in the meantime conquered the Babylonians, let them go. He just let them go home. One day they were enslaved, the next day they were free to go back home, just like that, no strings attached, and with a bankroll, no less, to help them build, rebuild the temple. Imagine the sudden shock of it all. Can it really be true? We must be dreaming. And so many years later, the psalmist reflects on that experience. Let's read those first three verses of Psalm 126 again. They're in your bulletin if you want to follow along. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. I remember one specific time in my life when I experienced something of what those Hebrew people might have been experiencing, having believed that all was lost and finding life, finding everything completely restored to me. Maybe you have. What came to mind as I was reflecting on what this experience must have been like for the Hebrew people was that miraculous rescue of those 12 Thai boys and their soccer coach who were trapped deep in a cave by flooding waters back in June of 2018. I remember that. What was to have been an hour's hike in a cave turned into a two-week ordeal, a matter of life and death. You remember the absolute complexity of that rescue in which the most qualified persons in the world came to lend assistance. One man even gave his life for the sake of these young men whom he had never seen. The rescue effort was dubbed Mission Impossible. And one of the rescuers, a Navy SEAL, reported afterward that they didn't think this mission would be as successful as it was. In responding to questions about how he felt after the rescue of his grandson, one man said, it's like they have died, and now they have been reborn. When all is lost, whatever that lost 
is in our lives. When all seems lost, how do we experience, how do we express the feeling in that moment when suddenly, outside of all hope and all expectation, what was lost is restored? What was lost is found. What was no longer ours is back in our hands once again, complete and whole. It's like a dream, the psalmist says. We can't stop laughing. We can't stop talking about it with everyone who will listen. And those who hear the story get caught up in the joy and give glory to God. Look what God has done. And God's people declare that it is God's doing. It is the Lord's gift. And they celebrate with a great party. But life goes on, doesn't it? Stuff happens. We celebrate the awesome way that God has helped us, and then life goes on. And the struggles return. We face opposition. Our bed of roses becomes a field of thorns. The desert winds blow. We lose our way. We wonder, where is our God? And so we come to the second part of our psalm. Verse 4 reads, Restore our fortunes. O oh Lord, like the water courses in the Negeb. We have moved from the affirmation that the Lord has restored the fortunes of Zion in verse 1 to a prayer that God would once again restore their fortunes. What happened? Well, Not everyone celebrated with the Jews on their sudden and unexpected return into Palestine to the city of Jerusalem. The poorer Jews who had remained in Palestine during the exile had intermarried with foreigners who had come and settled there. The Samaritans were one such group and they were fearful of the powerful rise to dominance of the Jews once again. For over a period of 20 years, they opposed and frustrated the work of the Jews to rebuild the temple and the walls of the city. They exercised personal and direct opposition in the form of raiding parties on the builders. And then they used what political and legal resources that were at their disposal to halt the rebuilding work. And they did a good job manipulating the Persian authorities. At one two-year stretch during that time, construction was completely stopped by legal decree. What's going on, Lord? You brought us home for this? This this situation is pictured in verse 4 of the psalm as the Negeb. Now, the Negeb is a stretch of arid land in which nothing grows. It's a wasteland. It's dangerous, and no one goes there unless they have to. But the people knew that the spring rains 
when they came, those dry creek beds of the Negev can suddenly become channels for rushing torrents of life-giving water. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. After the prayer, restore us, O Lord, the psalmist affirms the faithfulness of God and commits to acting with hope and expectation that God will once again bring the people out of a desperate situation into the joy of God's salvation. We may be in a desert wilderness where nothing grows, but we will sow seed anyway. We are miserable right now, and we will sow with tears, but we will sow because we know that God will raise up a harvest and that there will be rejoicing once again. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Sowing is an act of anticipation and hope. Remembering what God has done in the past, God's people live and act in the certain hope of what God will do in the future. God's people live as if God is present and already at work, because, of course, God is. It's like the woman in the inner city, in inner city New York, who chose to plant flowers in the cracks and crevices of decrepit buildings. And she chose to plant flowers in buckets and pots, placing them in parks where no grass grew. It's like the children and their grandmother who who cleaned up the trash from a vacant lot, planted vegetable gardens, and painted colorful murals on the side of of the adjacent buildings. It's like the Episcopal priest in the same neighborhood who walked the city streets every day getting to know the folk who lived there. It's like the chef who prepares a five-star food for street kids and teaches them the joy of cooking. It's like laughter at a funeral and generosity out of an empty pocket sowing in tears, confident that God will bring forth a harvest. Why? Because what God has done before, God will most certainly do again. Through one set of eyes and ears, this psalm is about memory, and it is about hope. There is the awesome wonder in the memory of how God has helped us in the past. And there is the expectant hope and trust that God will do it again. Some of us may have responded emotionally to this poem this morning. And that may well be enough. For in the seeing and the feeling We know something of the truth that it holds. 
Others of us may prefer a more instructive approach. So for those of you who approach it this way, let me say this. When you are in the middle of your own desperate situation, follow the four steps the psalmist identifies. One, pray for God's full restoration and blessing. Two, be confident in the knowledge that God will turn your sorrow into joy. Three, commit yourself to God. And four, live as if what you hope for has already come to pass. The harvest will come if we do not give up. In closing, let me read this psalm again, differently this time. My paraphrase. Maybe you will take some time this week to write your own. When the Lord gave everything back to us that we had lost, we couldn't believe it. It seemed like a dream. But it wasn't a dream. It was real, really real. And we couldn't stop laughing. And we couldn't stop telling everyone what had happened. The people around us who heard said, Your God is awesome. And we held a great celebration because God had not forgotten us. So now, Lord, do it again, please. Let's see those dry and dusty riverbeds filled with water. We choose to plant our seed where nothing can grow, and we expect a bumper crop anyway. We are so weary and tired with the struggle that we can't stop the tears. But you will make a way. We believe it. You will provide more than we can hope or imagine, and we will shout for joy once again. Amen. And amen. Remembering what God has done in the past, God's people live in hope, anticipating what God will do in the future. Now that is something to be thankful for this Thanksgiving.